We are starting a new series this morning, and this series is More Like Christ. Uh, the, the series More Like Christ um, came out of a conviction. It came out of a conviction that, uh, obviously, we need to look more like Christ. Typically, whenever we try to model our Christian lives and Christian walks after people in Scripture, we tend to look at maybe David or Paul or uh, Someone else in scripture that uh, is faithful to the Lord, wanted to walk in obedience, and so therefore we try to glean from them. And, and historically, a church like Grace would have stayed away from trying to look at Christ as a model because we wanted to look at Christ as a savior for fear that uh, that was what Christ was here to do. But even though Christ is here and came to die for our sins and to raise from dead as our Savior, as our God, as our Lord, there's still behaviors, there's still something about the way he lived that we can model. And it would be foolish for us not to look at him because he is our ultimate leader. As scripture says, Jesus is the head of the body and we are the body, the church. And so it would make sense to understand and follow that head. Leaders have incredible influence over our lives, don't they? Uh, my first Christian mentor in life, after I became a believer, was a man named Eric Williams. He was the director at Kids Across America Camp. And, and when I was there, I, w I came in as a counselor. I left after that summer. I lived unbelievably faithful to the Lord. I sought him. I had this drive and this hunger. And by the time I came back, I was a changed person because of what I'd seen the summer before. And they asked me to be on leadership. And I stayed there for six more years. And almost everything I do now, the way I live is influenced and his fingerprints were on it. The way I saw him model leadership, the way I saw him interact with others. I can tell you even a story about how that's happened here at Grace. Uh, one of my responsibilities is to lead a young adult mission trip. And we had the opportunity to plant Young Life Ministries in Europe, and specifically Bulgaria. And my second year, we, uh, I had an intern at Grace that was placed under me. And so he got to uh, learn about outreach and young adults. And one of his responsibilities was to take ownership over part of this mission trip to Bulgaria. It's his first time leading and we get to Bulgaria, and we are there, and we are doing something neither one of us has ever done before. None of us had seen it. No one had laid out um, what this project would look like. And so um, he came to me. He said, how do you think I should do it? And I leaned on something that Eric used to say to me all the time. I don't know. Figure it out. And I walked away. Now, I need to tell you something about this intern. He's a former offensive lineman of Kansas State University. Uh, quite the stout man. Um, uh, he was upset at me for those instructions. And then he came to me again. He said, no, I really need your help. And I said, I don't know. I've never done it before. Figure it out. And he walked away, still frustrated. Lo and behold, the way he figured out how to do it happened to be the way that it was received then, and they still model that today. Later, I came back and I said, what was it like to intern over me? He said, let me tell you the truth. I was very frustrated with you in Bulgaria, but had you not done that, I would have never been uh, stretched to expand my capacity and trust my own ideas and leadership. 
So there's a sense that what was taught to me was taught to Tyler through me based off of somebody else modeling it. That influence permeates us. Even our society, we are going to celebrate tomorrow uh, Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. He had an incredible influence in our civil rights here in America and around the world. But there were people that tried to lead a civil rights response prior to Martin Luther King Jr. But Martin Luther King's was heard different for a reason. And as Andy says just about every year, the reason it was heard is because not only did he try to help us see what was wrong, but he accompanied it with a word called hope. There was a hopefulness around it. There was an idea that this can get better because it was centered on Jesus Christ and his desire for his people. You see, influence controls us and it, 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 it causes us to become who we are whether we recognize it or not. We're influenced by all sorts of things in society. And um, Jesus is our ultimate influence. And if we are gonna become more like him, we need to take this series seriously. We need to take what the word of God says about Jesus seriously. And we need to model our lives similarly to the way Jesus lives. And so this series is gonna cover a multitude of stories from Jesus's life. And this story comes from Luke chapter two. So if you would like to, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter two as we prepare for this story. You know, we only have one story from Jesus as a boy in our scriptures. And it's right here in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. Uh, this one story is significant. In fact, we know it's significant because it starts with a verse that is also at the end of the passage itself. There is a bookend created. There is a bookmark in this passage. Out of all the stories of Jesus' youth, this is the one that Luke determined was supposed to be shared. And through him, obviously, the Holy Spirit. That verse is this. It says, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. That's verse 40. Now look at verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. They essentially say the exact same thing. And it gives you this introduction into Jesus himself. Jesus was a child that grew and became strong. That talks about his nature. That talks about who he is. We know he was 100% man. He was born a man. God became man. That's the word Emmanuel, God with us. And then he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Well, that line shares with you a little bit about his divinity, right? Wisdom only comes from the Lord. We know that through scripture. And then also the grace of God was upon him. It was almost as if there was something different about Jesus than everyone else. And this story, even at an early age, we find out that Jesus is distinctively different than everyone else. And those bookmarks help you see that this is a story that we should dig into. So this story, I believe, is best explained by looking at two different parts. Number one, missing. There's a time where Jesus is missing. 
And then number two, his mission. Missing and mission. So first, let's look at missing. Jesus is missing. Verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, this is incredibly significant for you to understand. You see, Jesus was raised by a devoted family. A devoted family to God and to the Jewish customs. Um, There was nothing unnatural about the way he was raised. I heard it said by someone, uh, this helps you understand that even though Mary was told in a, uh, by an angel that she would uh, give birth to the Son of God, and Joseph was told that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and so therefore uh, Jesus was divine and human, and he was different. There's an idea that they didn't, they didn't quite fully understand that, which you can kind of see in this story that you'll see in a bit. They didn't quite grasp it. I mean, how different was Jesus as the promised Messiah? How different was he than, say, like Samson in the Old Testament or Samuel in the Old Testament? Is, is, he, is he just a little bit more? Is he a little different? Obviously, they had the interaction with Elizabeth when she was pregnant with John the Baptist, and there was a recognition of what was going on. Uh, but, but Jesus was raised like a faithful Jewish man. I heard it said by somebody, uh, if they had known he really was God in the flesh, they probably wouldn't have asked him to take out the trash. But Jesus, being obedient and being raised in that sort of way, uh, he was raised like a devout Jewish man to worship God. And so they would follow the custom, which was to walk down to Jerusalem three times a year. And in the Old Testament, you would do this as you would walk three times a year to this festival. Um, You would walk down for three different Jewish festivals. They are uh, the Passover, Pentecost, and the uh, Festival of Booths. Now, these three are significant because they coincided with when you would harvest certain grains and crops. And so uh, the Passover accompanied this uh, festival called First Fruits, and that's where you would offer the first of what God had been blessed or blessed you with. And then you would go back and you would harvest a little more, a different crop, and then Pentecost, you would come and you would offer that grain offering. And then at the end of the season, you would come back again for the Feast of Booths and you would offer that grain and grape offering as well. But it was always a voyage. And during the intertestamental period, that means the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, it it wasn't just the men that would come down, like in Deuteronomy 16 says, but the wives began coming with them and the family began coming with them as they would come and they would celebrate these festivals in Jerusalem. And so they did this. They were faithful to do this. Verse 43 said, After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Jesus is missing. They were unaware of it. They were unaware of why Jesus would stay behind in Jerusalem. And so they walked a day's journey out. Now, you might be thinking, how could you not know your 12-year-old son would walk with you or would not be with you as you're walking out? 
Well, oftentimes these people, as they came for these festivals, would walk in full villages in these accompaniments. So these people that they knew, they were friends, they were family, they had a relationship together, and, and people would walk with other people. It's been described that the men typically walk with the men, the women typically walk with the women, and uh, Mary could have thought that Jesus was with Father, and the Father could have thought, nah, Jesus is with Mary. And when they got to their stopping point at the end of the day, they could not find Jesus. He was missing. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in the company... They traveled for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. And when they did not find them, him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. You know, uh, there are many people that don't think the three days there are very significant. Uh, they, they don't think the three days there are significant because it's not the exact wordage that's used. When Jesus dies on the cross and for three days, uh, he came back on the third day and rose from the dead. But I actually think it's significant. Had this been the festival of Pentecost, I would agree with them. Had this been the festival of booths, I would agree with them. But the fact that this is the Passover, the exact week, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, was buried, and third day he rose, I think there's a little bit of foreshadowing into it, what Jesus would do one day. And where did they find him? Teaching, in the teaching, in the temple. Now, what's interesting about this is he's a 12-year-old boy. Now, a 12-year-old boy in Jewish customs was beginning to be prepared to be a man that's responsible for his own faith, for the commandments of God. That at 13, in Jewish customs that was started about 500 years later, at 13, you would celebrate this thing called a bar mitzvah. Bar meaning son, and mitzvah meaning commandments. So it's son of the commandments. You would take responsibility of your faith. You are now responsible for what you do. And so the idea is that up until they're 12 years old, they are under their parents and their parents lead them and their parents are responsible for their faith. But at 13, you become a man and therefore you are responsible for what you hear, what you know. So that 12th year is very important. That 12th year is when you prepare and train and get ready for that time where you, be, you will be launched out and identified as a follower of God. And so Jesus sticking behind in the temple is incredibly significant. Um, it says, after three days, they found him in the temple court sitting among the teachers. What is sitting among the teachers? Well, uh, at that time, uh, when people would come down and there'd be so many people that would come from these different areas, uh, there were rabbis that would come down that would come and learn from the experts. You see, there was this high Sanhedrin and they would re be responsible for the law and for uh, making sure people are following it and they would issue judgments based off of what has happened. But then there is the temple Sanhedrin. 
The temple Sanhedrin was responsible for teaching all things about the temple and how man is supposed to interact with God. And so these people, a part of Jerusalem, as they receive all these Jewish people from all over uh, Israel to come down, they would actually instruct people and answer their questions based off of their uh, um, experience uh, with one another. And so they, the, the hospitality of that temple Sanhedrin was that they would receive these questions from rabbis and other leaders and fathers, and they would begin to share And Jesus was sitting among them, listening to these questions here. The other thing that's surprising about this is that uh, it's very significant that he's in the temple. You see, we look at this as people, as humans, that uh, if we got to see the temple, we would be in awe of it. and, and, And we would say, oh, this is where they do this. That's really incredible how they do this. And that would be our full experience. That would be the highlight of our experience there. But there's something different with Jesus. Because Jesus is the God-man, this is the first time he has ever walked in the temple. And because he understands that he is connected to God in some kind of way, he has seen this before. Hebrews 9 says that there is a temple in heaven. And the temple on earth was modeled in exact specifications after the one that's in heaven. If you think you would receive nostalgia by going back to your old college and seeing your old dorm room and maybe the place where you used to hang out with people, can you imagine the God-man walking into the temple and seeing what has been heavenly eternal with them and then walking into the physical representation of it where God interacted with man. It would hit him different. There's a sense that on this earth, he's always kind of been not an outsider, but there's something different about him. But as he walks in, this is where he belongs. It makes you wonder, it makes you uh, question when you look at this section, right? Who was actually missing here? Were they, was Jesus actually missing or were they missing Jesus? Were Mary and Joseph missing who Jesus actually was? And Jesus was about to begin to explain to them again and remind them again. Obviously, you know where I stand. Who was missing in this scenario? Were they missing Jesus or was Jesus missing? I believe they were missing Jesus. One of the most uh, common accusations against Christianity and believers is where is God in all of this? Where is God in this quarantine? Where is God in this world, this, this, this world that can't get along, this nation that can't interact with one another, this nation that can't even have a dialogue of two people that disagree? Where is, where are these people? Where is God in the midst of this? Is he really changing the church? Is he really transforming you so that you recognize that it's not about you, but you are a servant on behalf of God and everything you have is a blessing from God and you are supposed to steward that in your interactions, in your prayers. 
The accusation is, where is God? Is God going to do something about this? Is God missing? No. Oftentimes, we're missing God. We're missing the fact that God tends to use issues and problems in our lives to remind us that this is not our eternal hope. And we need to place our hope in something eternal. And he will begin to take away those comforts. He will begin to take away that uh, certainty that you have until you have to turn to him. I actually heard a testimony this week of a man who uh, has cancer and he, they, they think he's going to come out of it and be fine, but he's having chemo treatment. And he's strayed from God for years and years and years and years. And it wasn't until he was diagnosed with cancer that it caused him to remember what God had said and turn to God in faith. And he'll never, ever say, what happened? Why me? He actually says, God had to give me cancer so that I would respond and place my hope in him. So that's our question. Was Jesus actually missing or do we miss Jesus? The second part of this is mission. Jesus begins to share with them why he's there. Uh, In verse 47, it says this, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding. That word understanding as he's asking questions, as he's interacting, is incredibly significant. That Greek word means running together or putting pieces together. Uh, There is a wisdom about Jesus that he is beginning to take statements uh, in Scripture and he's pairing them with other places in Scripture and then he's pairing them with what the temple has been built as and he's asking questions that weave together and fit in pieces that many of these Sanhedrin don't even, hadn't even put together or fathomed. And while everybody is there looking at the Sanhedrin, asking them questions, the focus begins to shift from those experts to the expert who's a 12-year-old boy. And his understanding of it as he's piecing it together is one of the hallmarks of the way Jesus interacts with people. Later on in this book, you're gonna have the walk to Emmaus where there's two unnamed disciples that are distraught over everything that just happened in, in Jerusalem because Jesus died on the cross and then some are saying he rose from the dead. How could all this happen? I thought he was gonna be the Messiah. And, and this man walks up that they don't recognize and it's Jesus. And, and Jesus begins to explain to them everything and it says everything from Moses and the prophets all the way through the writings and pieces it together in ways that their heart, as they describe, their heart begins burning with compassion, because that's what Jesus does. And as a 12-year-old boy, he is doing that right here. And his parents walk in and they see this and they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I find it funny that she didn't ask if he was okay. But why have you treated us like this? How could you do this to us? And Jesus, as Jesus does, responds with a question. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? 
Some of your translations probably say, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Well, it, the reason there's a difference between house and business is because that word is not actually in the Greek. It actually is an idiom that sounds something like this. I must be in the blank of my father. And the reason it is missing is because the emphasis isn't on where Jesus is and what he is doing. The emphasis is on the possessive, my father. Whatever it is that he is doing, whatever he is sharing in, as long as it's under and within the leadership of his father, he is going to be a part of it. You see, earlier on, the parents were looking for him and figured he would be with his mother or father. When they found out that, they went to look at friends and relatives, and they didn't find him there. And Jesus, their, their assumption was right. The problem is, is that they were looking for the wrong family. He was with his father's business. That was his mission. You see, because whenever Jesus does his ministry... His responsibility is to share truth about his father's business and will. Wherever understanding God is taking place, that is where Jesus belongs. To explain it to us, to share it with us, because that's his mission. And I'm so grateful for this next line. But they did not understand. There are so many times in our lives where we're following Jesus, where we're following God, we just don't understand exactly why he does anything. But that's not the point. The point is, is that we trust that God's will is better than ours. And we're willing to follow him. And when Jesus says, I must be there, we too should model our lives and be influenced like that. We must be about the Father's business and mission. And it goes on to say, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor of God and man. Not only did she not understand, but I love that statement that she just treasured these in her heart. Because you recognize later that Mary gets it. She understands. She has a lifetime of faithfulness that leads to her understanding who her son is. By the time they get to the first miracle, uh, she goes to Jesus and says, hey, they're running out of wine at the, at the wedding. And Jesus says, it's not my time. She doesn't even answer him in response. She was like, hey, everybody, do whatever he says and walks out. She gets it. She understands that Jesus has something about him. So we should be more like Jesus. We shouldn't be missing what God is doing. We should be looking for what God is doing. And we should be a part of his mission, not our will. And I think there's three ways we can do this. Insist, persist, and resist. Insist. We should insist that God reveals his will to us. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Pray for his will to be revealed. Insist that he does his will and you want to be a part of it. James 1 tells us if we lack any wisdom and understanding, we should ask him because God gives it freely. 
Insist by praying for it. Persist. Persist in seeking the Lord. God says, if you seek me, you will find me. Don't give up. Much like Mary in this passage, she didn't understand, but she pondered these things in her heart and you see her life of faithfulness afterwards. We need to persist. Even if we don't understand, we're a part of what God is doing and his will. Pray for it, seek it, and lastly, resist. You have to deny yourself. There are influences in your life that you have placed there. There are influences in your life that you have believed that are not of God, but others that you respect, and you have to filter those. How do you do that? You do that through his word. If you're in the word and reading scripture regularly, you will be able to resist the temptations of this world better. It won't be perfect because you aren't. But the good news is that you're placing your hope in he who is. We actually have a program here called uh, Regeneration that helps you identify these things that are influencing your life instead of the Lord. And you should consider it if you have struggled walking faithfully because of something you are having trouble denying in your life. It's an incredible ministry. So insist, persist, and resist so we don't miss God's mission for our lives. And we can look more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your mercy, your grace, your love. We appreciate the fact that you lived among us. And you didn't just die on the cross quickly and then go off. But Lord, you lived among your disciples for three years. Modeling how to be faithful in the Lord. Lord, let us be influenced by your leadership through your spirit and your word so that we can look more like you. It's by our son's name we pray. Amen.